Are we there yet? No! Are we there yet? Yes. Really? No! Are we there yet? No! Are we there yet? No, we are not! Are we there yet? No! Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Hey, that's, hey, not, that's funny. not funny. Hey, that's really that's immature. That's really immature. See, this is why this nobody, is why nobody like likes ogres. All right, you're All lost. right, you're lost. I'm gonna just stop talking. Finally. But this is taking forever. Shrek, and ain't no in-flight movie or nothing. The kingdom of far, far away, donkey. That's where we're going. Far, far away. All right, all right, I get it. I'm just so darn bored. Well, find a way to entertain yourself. <sighs> You may be uh, wondering, but there's really a great connection between the song and that video. Because all my favorite people are broken because we're not there yet. We're headed in that direction if we're following the way of Jesus. But we're not there yet. The resounding answer to donkey's question, are we there yet? No. I'm not there. You're not there. And we are not there yet. Because we are on a journey. We're, we're on a journey, sometimes moving almost as slowly as a horse-drawn carriage. But on a journey of spiritual maturity, transformation, and growth, individually and as a church. So, if we are following Jesus, if we're committed to doing what we've been singing about, worshiping God, surrendering our life unto Christ, then change is inevitable because it will happen in us through the power of the Holy Spirit as we seek the will of God. Not only is change inevitable, but change is the very purpose of the journey. That we are changed to be more like the body of Christ that we've been called to be. That, that you are changed, that I am changed more and more according to the character of Jesus. That is the destination. And we're not there yet. You have heard it said before, and it's true, it's right on, dead on. One of those things that does not change because it's founded on the very character of God. That God loves you just the way you are. Period. There's absolutely nothing you can do to add to that or take away from that. That is the scandal of grace and the love of God. I don't care if you're so greedy that you don't know how to tip a waiter. You know, I don't care if you're, you're such a liar that you've lost count already this morning to your boss, uh, to your parents, to your children, to your spouse, to your best friend. I, I, 
don't care that if you were busy last night seeking a prostitute in which to turn a trick. God loves you, period, just the way you are. But the wondrous thing of God's love is that it is so overflowing, so immense, so great that He loves you so much that He's not going to let you stay there but wants to enter in and lead and guide you to the absolute fullness of life that He has for you. That's why change is inevitable for anyone who is a follower of Jesus because of the grand love and powerful compassion of God. If we are walking with Jesus, if we are living with God, if we are submitting to the Holy Spirit within us, then change is inevitable. It is the very purpose of our journey. And our charge is to stop fighting it, is to welcome it, is to hear God's voice, to feel God's hand in it and through it, individually and as a community of Jesus followers. Our passage this morning is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 45, and then uh, verse uh, 48 at the, uh, at the end. It's uh, part of Jesus' uh, big sermon in Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount, the largest um, sermon that we have recorded of, of Jesus. And uh, this, this is just a piece uh, of that sermon where it's part of his um, Rhetorical style to say, you have heard it said, but now I tell you. And that's where we are in verse 38 um, of Matthew 5. It's found on page 786 in your pew Bible. You can turn there or in your own Bible or you can follow along on the screen. Let's uh, pray together. Gracious God, Speak to us, change us, show us where we need to be uplifted in your truth. Show us where we need to be corrected in our error. Take your word, apply it in our lives, in our life together. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Matthew 5, starting with verse 38. Hear the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil 
and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And then verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Verse 48, that's the destination of our journey. That, that is where we are headed. I know it may be easy for you to understand that about yourself and hard for you to understand that about the person to your left or right. But that is the work of God in each of us to form in us the very character of Christ. The Apostle Paul, uh, in one of his letters, even says to us that when, when Jesus returns and we see him face to face, then we will be made like him. Part of the reason we don't like change is because we like just to be settled. We like just sort of keep the status quo. We talked about it a lot last week. It's just natural, our, our human instincts. And you know, I don't like being corrected. I don't like it when God intersects my life and says, you know, this is where you're, you're broken, where you're, you're weak, where you're far from me, where you're selfish, where you're characterized more by hate than by love, more by greed than by generosity, more by selfishness than by justice. But that's the journey that we are on. And that change is inevitable for all of us. Unless we can say that we've arrived, that we are perfect as our Heavenly Father has created us to be perfect. Now, I want you to, to notice the, the beginning, just how much that, that God is in the work of changing us and how He uses change at all times and even throughout the scope of human history. In the very beginning of the passage, he says, Now, you know, some of you have heard, you, or you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, you know what he's quoting, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He's quoting Exodus. He's quoting Exodus 21. And in the, the time of the, the writing of Exodus, that word applied perfectly given the context of the nation of Israel not even really even being a nation yet. Dealing with the externals, bringing a system of, of justice to a people that were totally lost. And now, in this day, Jesus says that it's not just an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, but he goes deeper. It's, it's now time for God, through the person of Christ, to engage his people at a time in, in, in their development and even in their maturity on this macro level to say, now you've got to address the heart. Not just an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but now we're talking about living a life of love, a life of generosity. Now, the, the specifics of this passage are worthy of a whole series of sermons, and we really don't have time to go into that. You're welcome. But the main point is to see God's changing work in drawing God's people throughout thousands of years deeper and deeper into Him. 
mean, we see it in other ways as well, right? I mean, in, in the, the days of Israel, when was the Sabbath? When was the day that folks gathered together? I mean, if you have Jewish friends that are practicing Jews, when do they meet? Saturday. What day is today? Sunday. That's a big change. What, what, what happened? Did that day change? I mean, that wasn't even the Ten Commandments. You know, Sabbath was Saturday. What changed was Jesus was raised from the dead. And, and we now gather on the day of resurrection. And so now the, the, the people of, of God that are seeking God in the name of Christ, we gather on a different day. We call a different day Sabbath because of God's work in our midst. And, and think about the other sacrificial system and the, the whole list of, you know, clothing. Man, you think some people got mad at me for wearing blue jeans. Which, by the way, first service, you know, I wore blue jeans as well. And the days of Exodus, I would have been in a heap of trouble. But those change in the eating rules and regulations. Now, a good question is, well, man, that's sort of scary stuff. That's pretty wild. I mean, it's right, though. I mean, the Sabbath did change from Saturday to Sunday. And yeah, they're clear as day. They're eating regulations and other things and that we don't follow anymore because of Jesus. Because of God's movement in His people. So, those changes occurred because of the crucifixion and the resurrection of God in the flesh. So those kind of changes don't just happen out of the blue. God leads, reveals, and directs us accordingly using something rather significant as someone being dead for three days and then being raised into life. But what's really important is that we, we see in this passage, we see this macro level of, of God leading His people, that we recognize we're a small part of a much bigger plan of God to rescue the world. And our journey, individually and even corporately as a church, is part of a much larger caravan is on its way to a destination, and change will be a part of it. Change will be a part of it not only because of, of God's work in us, because of our brokenness and God's work of redemption, of transformation in us as a people and as individuals, but it also happened just because of the decay of our world. Control is something that's really hard to give up. But it's something we plain and simple don't have. It is really an illusion of our mind that we have control. For as we've said throughout these last several weeks, it is God and God alone who is constant. It is Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Last week, uh, Steve McLemore even sent me an article about how even the things we think are most constant in our, in our lives change. 
This is about the international prototype of the kilogram. It's in the, in the hands of the International Bureau of Weights and Measures. And, and there is a, a prototype that says this is what a, a kilogram weighs. This, this is a cylinder of, of platinum iridium. It's about 39 millimeters high, 39 millimeters in diameter. It was, it was cast in, in France in 1879, and then in 1889 it was adopted as this is the unchanging kilogram. Problem is, that uh, international standard, that international prototype is losing weight. It's lost about 50 micrograms. No, that's not a whole lot of weight, so it's, they can't write a book and sell millions on a diet plan. It's about the weight of a grain of sand. But nonetheless, it's that which we thought was solid, but actually there's hydrocarbons and hydrogen in there and stuff that somehow escaped. Well, there are about 40 other prototypes of this, replicas of this official IPK standard. And so they've gone around and begin to try to measure those and see what's happening with them. And they find most of those others are not on the same diet because they're gaining weight. And think at different rates, and think it's you know it's pollutants or other things that somehow you know make their way into what we think is sort of this solid structure, never to change. It still changes. I got an email just this week as well, another one that asked me you know about the definition of idolatry, and it made me think because. As we've been walking through this series about change and the inevitability of change, it's given me a new definition of idolatry. It's when we think there's anything else but God and God alone that doesn't change. Because it's only God. Nothing physical is totally pure, doesn't change. Certainly not cars, houses. We'd love that they didn't change. Certainly not our position in life, not our relationship, our health, our own body. Anything that, that we cling on to as something that is unchanging takes the place of God in our lives. Comes an idol. One of the great gifts of change and our negative reaction to it is it reveals to us those things that become our idols. Helps us to see that our one and only hope, our sure and certain hope, is in the unchanging God who continues to bring about change in us so that we might mature, that we might grow more and more to who He's created to be, more and more according to the character of Christ. No, we're not there yet. One day we will be when we see our Lord and Savior face to face. But until then, change is inevitable.
Stop even asking, are we there yet? Just know that the answer is no. And now participate in the journey. For this week, and maybe for a while, as you practice change in different ways, engage that change. Reflect on your reaction to the changes in your life. Stop fighting them, opposing them, or complaining about them. And ask God to show you why He started this construction project in your soul. Ask God what, what change He is bringing about in your, le- in your life, in our life together. Because He's told us the destination. He's working, believe it or not, in His power to make us holy like Him. Because we aren't there yet. Keep your eyes and ears open for the construction projects of your soul that God is doing in your midst. Amen.